fine. Uh, oh. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's show of Five Fair Fitting Irish. I just realized that the slider on the audio deck was not um, up, so uh, the last 30 seconds were basically me just talking into the void. But welcome back to Five Fair Fitting Irish here on WVFI. I'm Andrew McGinnis. If this is your first time tuning in, talking all things about hockey, the National Hockey League, uh, specifically probably for this show, then we may have some Notre Dame hockey talk at the end of this show. Usually, you know, with the news coming out that Notre Dame is going to be a three seed in the NCAA tournament and will take on North Dakota in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Usually that news would be pretty high up on the priority list, but of course the NHL trade deadline was yesterday. It has come and gone a little under 24 hours ago. The deadline officially passed at 3 p.m. And so there's a lot to talk about the NHL, and it's primarily being an NHL show. I figure that's where we should start things off, but hopefully the Irish will maybe get a little Irish talk in if there's some time at the end of the show. Um, good to just be back here in the studio, as I mentioned. I wasn't able to do the show last week. Um had a very busy return to school uh, from spring break. I hope everyone listening here had a relaxing, restful, and hopefully a warm spring break. Certainly warmer than it is outside today, although, I mean, yesterday was absolutely gorgeous here in Notre Dame, but the yeah, South Bend winter does not die quietly, um, to certainly say the least, but... Well, like I said, there's a lot to talk about in the hockey world, and just about all of it has to do with the NHL trade deadline, which, as I said, was yesterday, officially passing at 3 p.m. Um, this year's deadline, honestly, was not the most impactful one or the most exciting one that we've seen in the last couple of years. Last year's, I remember, being pretty—I feel like last year's was maybe a little bit above average. And then 2020, I remember just the sheer volume of deals uh, made at that trade deadline was really high. Um, then, of course, I mean, it still wind on battering, but of course, then the pandemic hit two weeks later and threw everyone's plans um, off kilter. Um, but we, like I said, this year's trade deadline um, was more, I'd say it was more about bolstering and retooling for most teams. Uh, I feel like those were like the two words. Uh, I don't feel like most teams, at least not yesterday directly, got a player that's really going to make a difference uh, for them in their Stanley Cup playoff run. But ultimately, you never know. You never. I mean, sometimes it's just those small deals, the depth defenseman for a fifth-round pick, and that guy winds up scoring a playoff series winning goal. You just never know what's going to happen, and that's part of the reason why it's so fun to talk about. Uh, so we're going to go over all the trades in the last week or so, um, obviously spending more time on some of the major ones. And so without any further ado, let's get right into it. So the first trade, the one that really started the market, uh, got that, got the uh, trade juices going and across the National Hockey League came a little over a week ago, actually, all the way back on March 14th, and it was the Anaheim Ducks sending defenseman Josh Manson a 50% salary retained to the Colorado Avalanche in exchange for a 2023 second-round pick and defensive prospect Drew Hellison. Now Hellison's a guy whose stock seems to have been rising over the last couple weeks or so. That may just be because that Colorado was obviously looking to buy at the shirt deadline and. You know, they're going to talk, the, their prospects are running, getting it hyped up because those are the guys that are going to get moved. But Hellison's having a pretty good year. He plays for Boston College. He's got 25 points in 32 games this season. Not bad for a defenseman, certainly. Um, the Anaheim Ducks actually, shortly after acquiring him, literally the next day, signed him to his entry level contract. So I don't know if he'll wind up playing in any NHL games this year. He is uh, 20 years old. Uh, will turn 21 in just a couple of days. On Saturday is his birthday, so happy early birthday to Drew Hellison. Um, if you are somehow listening to this show, but um, Hellison, like I said, is a pretty good prospect, a young defenseman for the Anaheim Ducks uh, to make up for them losing an older defenseman, Josh Manson, not a significantly older one, of course. Uh, Manson is, you know, right in his prime. He is 30 years old, so kind of just exiting uh, that stage in his career. Uh, this is a guy, Manson, a couple of years ago who was honestly regarded as like one of the better defensive defensemen in the NHL. I feel like his stock has maybe slightly fallen over the last couple of years or so, um, but he remains a very solid defenseman. And, you know, it's honestly not that big of a surprise for me looking back on it in hindsight to see the Colorado Avalanche in on Josh Manson. Um, if you remember in the offseason, of course, they were one of the big contenders trying to acquire Seth Jones from the Columbus Blue Jackets. Ultimately, they wound up trading him to the Chicago Blackhawks, who was, we'll talk about maybe quite a few deals as well in the last couple of days or so. 
Um, but not too big of a surprise to see Colorado want to upgrade their defense. I am a bit surprised they didn't try to make a bigger move up front, especially with how you know heavily rumored they were in the Claude Giroux sweepstakes that ultimately wound up settling for a couple smaller moves up front, which we'll get to. Um, but I like the return here for the Anaheim Ducks, uh, especially since Manson is an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season, so this looks like it's just a rental for Colorado. Um, Hellison was obviously the headline returns, but the year that he's been having, a former second-round pick as well. And so you essentially get two second-round picks for Josh Manson. Um, Anaheim's going to have some work to do. They're probably going to need to sign a defenseman or trade for someone in the offseason, but having a prospect like Hellison in a second-round pick makes it easier to do that. And like I said, I don't mind them moving on from Manson, who at 30 years old probably doesn't quite fit their timeline as they're trying to build around some younger guys like Trevor Zegras, Mason McTavish, Jamie Drysdale, and all those good young players that they have in Anaheim. So the second trade that happened, that's actually the very next day, March 15th, and it was actually also involving the Colorado Avalanche, a pretty interesting one-for-one trade, albeit a fairly minor one, with Tyson Jost going to the Minnesota Wild in exchange for Nico Sturm. Now this is probably a disappointing trade for Colorado Avalanche fans because obviously they had much higher hopes for Tyson Jost. He was the 10th overall pick by the Avs in the 2016 NHL draft, the draft before uh, they had that absolutely nightmare 16-17 uh, season where they were dead last in the league. Wound up getting Cam Card though. It's a pretty sweet consolation prize for that. Um, but he burst into the NHL very quickly. Like I said, he was a 2016 draft pick. He wound up playing uh, six NHL games in his draft plus one season after having a strong year at the University of North Dakota. Like I said, will be Notre Dame's uh, opponent in the first round of the NCAA tournament. Um, then in his rookie season in 2017-18, 22 points in 65 games. All right, that's not bad, but he just hasn't really progressed um, ever since that point. In fact, next year he set a career high with 26 points. Um, so he's basically kind of plateaued as like an average, you know, bottom sixer over the last couple of years or so. Uh, so Minnesota trying to take on uh, Tyson Jostin, you know, get him to develop closer to the player that the Avalanche were expecting him to be when they took him so high in the draft. Uh, in exchange, Colorado gets Nico Sturm, who's a fairly similar player in terms of overall talent level. However, the big thing for Colorado is that he is much cheaper than Nico St- or than Tyson Jost, about $1.3 million cheaper. In fact, uh, Sturm this year had 17 points for the Wild in 53 games played. Uh, in stark contrast to Tyson Jost, he was actually undrafted. So two very different players in terms of how they established themselves in the NHL. Though um, Sturm also had some great seasons uh, at the uh, Clyde Clarkson University in the NCAA uh, before turning pro uh, with the Minnesota Wild in the two, in 2018-19, signing with them at the end of that season and, and establishing himself as part of their bottom six over the last couple of years. Um, so that's a bit of an interesting trade. I'd say it definitely has higher upside for the Minnesota Wild, but Sturm's a solid player in his own right, and if Jost never develops um, significantly more than he has already, then, hey, Colorado winds up saving some cap space, and they wind up getting a pretty similar player. Um, the next trade, uh, Frank Vetrano going to the New York Rangers in exchange for a f- conditional fourth-round pick. It'll be the lower of the two fourth-round picks the Rangers have between themselves and the Winnipeg Jets will probably wind up being the New York Rangers, barring Winnipeg squeaking into the playoffs and then going on a very surprising deep run. Um, but the New York Rangers, I really like a lot of what the Rangers did at the deadline. Like I said, we'll just go through the trades and so we'll get to them. Um, some of the other moves that they made a little bit later. But in stark contrast to their offseason, which I remember saying I was not the big of a fan of, uh, obviously it's worked out you know, just fine for them and then some. But I like Frank Vetrano, a former Boston Bruin. Um, been with the Florida Panthers the last couple of years. I almost had 40 points a couple of years ago for them, 39 in 81 games in the 2018-19 season. But he's just kind of doesn't really have, didn't really have a role for the Panthers uh, up front anymore, which just how absolutely stacked the Panthers forward core is. It's not that Frank Vitrano is a bad player necessarily, I and mean, he has 19 points in 49 games this year. Um, he's a versatile guy. He can play on the penalty kill. Uh, he can play right or left wing uh, as a left-handed shot. Uh, but it's not that Vetrano's a bad player or anything like that. It's just that he didn't really have a spot, given just how absolutely stacked uh, Florida's forward core is. And so he goes to the New York Rangers, who did need a little bit of help at left wing, and they wound up making two trades for guys who can play left wing. Like I said, we'll get to the other one a little bit later. Um, but Vetrano's a solid guy who's probably best slotting in on their third line um, in a perfect world. And with that other trade they made with Winnipeg and getting Andrew Kopp, I'll minorly spoil that one. Um 
I think that's ultimately where Vitrano is probably going to fit in, and I think that's a pretty solid, co- a pretty solid addition for the Rangers, and not a and a perfectly reasonable cost. Um, just a conditional fourth round pick, um, which is going to wind up being probably the, um, their fourth round pick this year, which won't be that high of a pick at all, even within the fourth round. Uh, the next move, the first big blockbuster trade, and probably one of the more controversial trades of the deadline: Ben Sherratt going to the Florida Panthers at fifty percent retained salary. In exchange for a 2023 conditional first-round pick, a 2022 conditional fourth-round pick, and prospect Ty Similnak, is I believe how you pronounce his last name. So the conditions on that pick, uh, the first-round pick is top 10 protected. I know it's so incredibly likely that the Panthers, who are like second in the NHL right now, are going to wind up somehow being having a bottom 10 first-round pick, especially with the new draft lottery rules. Um, although I guess even even if they missed the playoffs in the last spot and then won the lottery, they would still move into the top ten, I guess. Uh, but that pick is uh, top ten protected. Um, if the pan it winds up needing need to be protected, then um, uh, Montreal would instead get their uh, 2024 first round pick. It looks like. Um, yeah, so hold on. So the Panthers' first-round pick in 2022 is top 10 protected. In the event the Panthers retain their 2022 first-round pick, they will no longer own their 2023 first-round pick, and Montreal will instead get their 2024 first-round pick. That is a bit of a weird condition. Also, um, looking at all these trades and reading all this stuff on capfriendly.com, it's an amazing resource uh, for basically anything you could want to know, salary cap, trade, draft, uh, board-related-wise in the NHL. They have all the previous draft boards and all the trades, so you can see how picks were moved and all that sort of stuff. Uh, find out what uh, great players were taking with draft picks. That once belonged to your team, something I've done with my Philadelphia Flyers um, quite a few times, unfortunately. Uh, as for the fourth round pick, um, so again, it has to, it has to do with the uh, Rangers uh, thing that I just talked about with Frank Vitrano. Uh, so the Panthers acquired the Rangers fourth round pick, and so the Canadians will wind up getting... Um, uh, the lower of the so Florida gets the lower of the two pick uh, in the event that Florida receives the Winnipeg fourth Montreal will instead receive Winnipeg's fourth and then if they don't it looks like they'll receive um, Florida's fourth round pick or maybe it'll be the Rangers fourth round pick they're getting a fourth round pick we don't need to spend um, all the time in the world talking about a fourth which fourth round pick the Canadians are going to get in this trade uh, as for the prospect that the Canadians acquire it's Ty Similnak who is a forward. Uh, currently playing at Quinnipiac University. Uh, 22 points in 39 games this year. Pretty solid uh, for the sophomore uh, forward, although a little bit of a uh, downtick in his production uh, from where he was last year when he had 21 points but in just 29 games. I remember Elliot Freeman talking about that the Canadians' uh, brass is fairly familiar with Silenac, um, so that um, potentially you know that played a role, it seems like, um, in them acquiring him in this trade. Um, so that was seems to be part of uh, the reason why the uh, Canadians uh, wanted Simonac in this trade, and why they ultimately wind up getting him. Although the first round pick, I would say, is definitely the headliner, but he's probably the second most significant part of the uh, of the return for the Montreal Canadiens, which is a pretty good return for Ben Sherratt, um, who's a left-handed defenseman, uh, top four player in Montreal's Stanley Cup final run last year, of course. Um, how good of a player is Sherrod is definitely up for debate, uh, especially if you're someone who you know goes hard, is, um, who likes to look at analytics. Uh, Sherrod does not grade out well by the numbers for the most part. Uh, he is the very typical defensive defenseman, and obviously that comes with concerns about spending too much time in your own zone and being able to you know transition the puck, especially you know exit the uh, defensive zone. Um, he is obviously a good uh, player, you know. Um, he wouldn't be going for a first-round pick if he didn't have at least some like utility. Um, so I'm not trying to say that he's totally useless just because analytics don't like him. And obviously in the Stanley Cup playoffs, it is important to have someone who you know can be relied on in their own zone and will box out in front of the net. And there's, it's a very physical atmosphere, as we all know, in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and Sherratt should play right into that uh, for the Florida Panthers. Still, though, I probably would have liked to see them get someone like Mark Giordano, especially given that he didn't wind up going for all that much. And wound up going to a divisional rival in the Toronto Maple Leafs at that. Uh, but I don't think it's the end of the world. I don't, I don't think it's a bad thing that the Panthers got Sherrod. I think he makes them a better team. I just think it's a marginal increase that probably isn't worth uh, the pretty decent uh, haul of picks and pros- the prospect that they wound up giving up in this trade. 
So overall, I would say I don't like this deal too much for the Florida Panthers, um, but it does make them a better team, I would say, and I like some of the other moves that they made at the deadline a little bit better. Um, but having that you know, physical presence is important. So I, under- I understand uh, the thought process uh, of GM Bill Zito. Um, I just don't necessarily fully agree with it for this trade. Um, next trade, the Calgary Flames acquiring Callie Yarncroke um, in exchange for uh, a second-round pick, a third-round pick, and a seventh-round pick. Uh, the second-round pick is actually originally Florida's pick, which I believe is from the Sam Bennett trade from last year's trade deadline. Uh, so the Calgary Flames flipping that to acquire Kelly Yarncroke. Um, I actually wrote an article in The Observer a couple weeks ago. Um, I mean, I think it was actually last week. Uh, of picking one uh, target for every single team at the time was in a playoff spot uh, for the trade deadline. My pick for Calgary was actually Andrew Kopp. And while Kelly Yarncroke isn't, Obviously, the same as Andrew Kopp. He's not Andrew Kopp. Uh, he is a pretty similar player to Andrew Kopp and brings a lot of the same elements that I thought would mean him a good fit in Calgary and make me think that Kelly Yarncroke will be a good fit in Calgary um, as well. Um, Yarncroke has 26 points in 49 games this year, which is pretty solid in its own right, but even more impressive when you consider that means he's he's done that on a Seattle Kraken team that just straight up does not score goals. Um, in each of the last um, seven seasons, he scored somewhere between 10 and 16 goals, um, usually hovering around 30 points or so. So you really know what you're getting for him from him, um, more or less. Um, what a very versatile player uh, can play all three forward positions, can play power play, can play penalty kill. Um, he comes cheap in terms of the salary cap. Uh, Seattle is retaining 50% of his already pretty cheap $2 million cap hit. Um, so certainly not a big cost for Calgary in that department. Obviously, they didn't have that much cap space, so that's kind of more or less what it had to be. Um, but I really like Kelly Arncroke on the Calgary Flames, and I think he really completes their top nine very well. Um, you look at Calgary's uh, forward group right now. Obviously, they've got the first line, of course, that's been so good with Johnny Gaudreau, Elias Lindholm, and Matthew Tuchuk. Um, their second line, I don't know exactly what the combination is, but it's probably something along the lines of Blake Coleman, Michael Backlund, or it's probably Andrew Mangiapane. Uh, Michael Backlund, and then Tyler Toffoli. And then the third line, you've got um, the player I literally just mentioned, whose name I cannot remember anymore, at left wing. Um, And then you've got Sean Monaghan at third line center. And then, um, obviously, now Yarn Hoke probably slots in at third line right away for them. Who was that player I literally just mentioned now? Completely for Blake Coleman. Thank you. So Coleman, uh, Monahan, and Yarncroak. That is a heck of a fourth line right there. And then you round it out with you know Lou Cheech, um, Ryan me, Ryan Carpenter is their fourth line center. They got him with the trade deadline as well. A good defensive player who really doesn't do much in the offensive zone. Uh, but that's fine for a fourth liner. And then you know, um, Dylan Dubé is at fourth line right wing or something like that. I mean, you have a very deep Calgary Flames team that you know is playing some outstanding hockey right now, as they have all season. Uh, I was skeptical on Calgary coming into the year, but they have been playing right, right out of the gates. Uh, they have been playing like one of the best teams in the Western Conference, and I think Kelly Yarncroke's addition is big for them and adds them adds one more top nine forward to the mix for the Calgary Flames, and I think that is certainly going to help them come Stanley Cup playoff time. Um, moving on to the next trade, the Tampa Bay Lightning acquiring Brandon Hagel and two fourth-round picks in 2022 and 2024 in exchange for two conditional first-round picks in 2023 and 2024, Taylor Radish and Boris Kachuk. So I'm sure everyone, when they saw this trade, was laughing at the Tampa Bay Lightning, screaming about how this was such a terrible overpayment. And while it probably is, remember, a lot of people were also saying that when they traded for Blake Coleman. Now, I don't think Brandon Hagel, the player, is worth that close to two first-round picks. I don't even know if he's worth one first-round pick necessarily. However, Brandon Hagel, the asset, is worth a lot closer to first-round picks. And that's what you have to remember here. You know, we're not just—the NHL teams, you're not just trading players. They're trading assets, and there are certain things within a player— within a player's contract and their play style and their age that can make them more or less attractive— uh, to a team rather than just looking at their points or even their underlying numbers and that sort of stuff. And what makes Brandon Hagel such an attractive asset for the Tampa Bay Lightning is that he is 23 years old and he has signed at just $1.5 million this year, next year, and the year after that. 
for a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning, who are strapped up against the cap ceiling, having young, cost-controlled talent is absolutely vital. Um, if they're going to, you know, continue to be one of the best teams in the NHL, and you know, hopefully, in, from their perspective, you know, win a third straight Stanley Cup um, in a couple of months. And so getting someone like Brandon Hagel makes them a better team, not just this year, but next year and the year after that. And they can, you know, comfortably say that, comfortably have know that this guy is going to be there, he's going to be a productive player, and he's going to be playing at a much higher level than his cap hit would indicate. And by the way, he's a restricted free agent at the end of that deal. So the Tampa Bay Lightning, when his contract is up in 2024, they can either re- uh, extend him or they can trade him, um, potentially recouping some of those assets back. Who knows if Brandon Hingle will be uh, producing at as high a level um, in a couple years as he is this season for the Chicago Blackhawks, one of the breakout performers of this NHL season, a guy that a lot of people had never heard of before the year started, scoring at a 55-point pace, uh, 37 points in 55 games. He's got 21 goals. Um, he was already a solid player last year for the Hawks with 24 points in 52 games when he has been even better this season for Chicago. And so they're cashing out here big time on Brandon Hingle, betting that He's probably not this good of a player moving forward. And while they may be right about that, I mean, Hagel might have a chance to play high up in the Tampa Bay lineup. I mean, if he's playing next to Brandon Point or Steven Stamkos, um, has one of those two guys as his center, um, I think he'll find a way to stay fairly productive. Um, so I this is kind of a trade I like for both sides. It's definitely, the value is definitely, like if you were to put this into NHL 2020, NHL 22, you would definitely see that the Chicago Blackhawks would be getting way more value in this trade, and with good reason. Um, also, don't sleep on Radish and Kachuk either. Both are former second-round picks by the Lightning, who are having okay years playing on Tampa Bay's fourth line, um, not doing really anything special. Uh, but they are young enough that, who knows, maybe they go to Chicago, and they wound up you know, discovering a little bit more of that potential and wind up becoming uh, potentially more useful pieces in Chicago than they were for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, one thing I did find interesting about this trade was just the reaction um, around the Chicago Blackhawks. It's not very positive to it at all. Um, obviously, with the Brandon Hagel trade, um, you know, that's really the beginning of the Blackhawks signaling that they are in a rebuild. And I don't think there's any quick pivot like they did this summer um, with, or last summer with Flurry and Seth Jones and all those big moves that they made coming anytime soon. Uh, Brian Lawton of NHL Network uh, tweeted this out um, a couple days ago. And speaking with a few clubs, uh, clear they are watching Patrick Kane's situation closely to see if the trade of Hagel changes the equation. If Kane goes, expect to bring it to go, or if to bring it goes, expect Kane to follow. Things are getting interesting. Now, I don't see why the Blackhawks would ever trade Alex to bring it. I mean, he is young enough that, you know, they can, you know, execute a rebuild and come out on the other side of it with to bring it still right in his prime and being an incredibly productive player. Although the Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taze um, uh, situations are obviously a bit hairier because those guys are veteran players who have one year left on their deal after the season at expensive $10.5 million cap cap hits. Um, And so, you know, who knows what those guys are going to do. I mean, the Blackhawks have already gotten rid of Duncan Keith. Um, Would they be open to trading Taze and Kane? And this is what um, Jonathan Taze said. Uh, in an interview with Mark Lazarus of The Athletic. Um, This is a direct quote from Taze. Uh, He was asked about the Brandon Hagel trade. He said, yeah, if Hagel is the guy to get traded, if he's not a guy that's a part of of a rebuild, then I don't know. I don't know if anyone feels safe at this point with the way he's been playing when he's meant to our team. I had a hard time thinking in my mind that he would be one of the guys to get shipped off considering when he brought in. Yeah, that was a tough one to see. I'm pretty shocked for sure. So that certainly doesn't seem like... uh, Someone who's exactly happy with the direction that the Blackhawks are going in. Although, I mean, I don't really think there's much of a choice for Chicago. I mean, you look at where they are in the standings, and, you know, you subtract Kane and Taze from that mix potentially after next season. And, you know, when you get beyond that, there's not a ton there, especially with Marc Andre Fleury being traded yesterday. Um, so I really think this is the only direction that the Blackhawks can go in. Now, I don't think they should trade Alex DeBrinkett, like I said. I mean, you're talking about a 24 year old. Um, who is one of the best players in the NHL, 56 points in 50, 63 games this year. Um, he's going to score 40 goals almost certainly for the second time in his career. Would be three if last season had been anything close to a full year. Uh, he, It's not even out of the realm of possibility that he could maybe hit 50, although he would have to have an absolutely incredible end of the season. He's currently scoring at a 44-goal pace. 
Um, so it would take a really special end of the season for him to reach that milestone, but it's not completely out of the question. Uh, but with the older guys like Kane and Taze, you know, it's the Blackhawks are in a tough spot with their uh, with their future of their roster right now, and so um, it'll be an interesting offseason in Chicago for sure because guys like Taze and Kane. I was not expecting Kane to get moved to the deadline yesterday at all. Um, not only do both guys have full no-move clauses, but trading a $10.5 million cap hit in season is really difficult. I know they could have gotten another team to retain salary, which would have been able to drag the number down pretty substantially. Uh, so 10.5, you divide that by 2, the Blackhawks could retain um, you know, $5.25 million. Uh, If another team would take on the contract, then they could retain another $2.625 million, so the acquiring team would only have to pay the remaining 2.625, so that would have made it easier for some teams, but there were even some teams that couldn't have fit that number under the salary cap, at least not without giving up a roster player, uh, which they may or may not have wanted to do, although, I mean, if you're trading for Patrick Kane or Jonathan Taze, um, you kind of just got to go for it, I would say. Um, But, I mean, it'll be interesting to see where Chicago Blackhawks go, and they'll be a team that, for the second straight uh, summer, will be in a lot of headlines in the offseason. Um both with the, um obviously in terms of you know last season, um but the moves that they made in the off season, uh get Seth Jones and Mark Andre Fleury and Jake McCabe and they'll be a busy team I think, uh in this off season uh coming up although for obviously from a very different uh, roster building perspective, um the next trade the Minnesota Wild acquiring Nick Delorier from the Anaheim Ducks in exchange for a third round pick, Delorier is a pretty typical fourth line grinder tough guy, uh this is again if. You're an analytics person. You very do not like this trade. I try to kind of, like, as I was talking about the Shira, I try to hedge my bets a little bit on a trade like this in the sense that, all right, Delorey definitely brings physicality to the table, and that is definitely important, especially in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Is someone who grades out as poor analytically as he does worth a third-round pick? Probably not. Almost certainly not, I would say. Does he have some value, especially you know, given the fact that he is again a cheap player, um, only making one million dollars? Yeah, I would say so. But I mean, we're talking about a guy who has ten points in sixty-one games this year, and I understand that points are not the you know defining feature of Nick Delorey's game. Um, but um, you look at again, you know, the numbers, and obviously they do not rate him uh, very highly. Um, however. Um, I mean, he obviously does provide some intangible value um, as well. So um, we'll see what the Minnesota Wild wind up doing with him. If he's you know someone who's a regular fourth-line player, if he's more of a rotational piece that you know maybe they put in and out for certain games or depending on the matchup against a certain team that they like. Um, but it's a good trade for the Anaheim Ducks. I like that they were able to get a third-round pick for Deloria. That is a clear win for the Anaheim Ducks and some good work done by their new GM, Jeff Solomon, um, who also made, of course, the ne- another big trade and a couple other more trades that we'll talk about um, from his perspective. So the Anaheim Ducks trading Hampus Lindholm at 50% retained salary and Cody Curran, who is a uh, defenseman, 32 years old, more of a, just a AHL player, um, basically there for the contract spot. Uh, they trade him to the Boston Bruins and what arguably might be the biggest move uh, of the trade deadline, I would say, at least in terms of, you know, assets exchanged. Uh, the return being a first-round pick this year, second-round picks in 2023 and 2024, prospect or young player, young defenseman Uro Vakaninen, and defenseman John Moore. Uh, Hampus Lindholm is one of those guys whose reputation probably exceeds his overall level of play at least a little bit. I think he's thought of by a lot of people as one of the best defensemen in the NHL is a no-doubt top-four player, whereas if you look at some of his numbers a little bit deeper, he's probably more of someone who's more better off in a top-four role. And in Anaheim, he was always you know number one, I'd say, on their uh, def- left side, on their defensive depth chart on the left side. Um, oh, sorry, the lights just went out in the studio for a second, but we're back now. Um, but Lindholm is a very good player and a very talented player as well. I'm very surprised this is the big swing the Boston Bruins took, though. The Bruins have been one of the best, if not the best defensive teams, uh, defensive teams in the NHL this season. I'm looking at Natural Stat Trek, which is an advanced stats website. The Bruins lead the NHL in expected goals against per 60 minutes, both at 5-on-5 and in all situations. <clears throat> uh, they average just under 2.5 expected goals against 
uh, in all situations per 60 minutes, which is obviously pretty darn good. Um, you know, if you allow, that means they're on average allowing fewer than three goals a game, and if you allow fewer than three goals a game, especially with the offense, uh, especially with their first line, I should say, that the Bruins have, then you probably win a decent amount of games, and that is indeed what the Boston Bruins have done this season. However, the big gaping weakness for the Bruins all season that we've been talking about since the moment David Krejci retired, or retired from the NHL at least, um, is at second-line center. And Charlie Coyle's been okay for them this year. Now, it's not the end of the world. It seems like they're going to wind up running with him as their 2C uh, for this playoff run. He has 37 points in 63 games. He's been pretty solid for the Boston Bruins this season. Um, it's a pretty good bet that he'll put up the second-highest point total of his career, which is would mean passing uh, 42 points from the 2015-16 season. He did a 56 the year after with the Minnesota Wild, uh, both those seasons actually. He's probably not going to be reach that um, career-high point total this season, but he's been solid for them this year. However, you know, this is a big year for the Boston Bruins. Patrice Bergeron, uh, his contract is up to the end of the season. Brad Marchand's another guy who's starting to get up there in age. You know, David Posternock's deal is running down. He's going to get a big payday. I think he might have one more year left on that contract of his um, after this season. Uh, yes, one more year for David Pasternak um, at the end of the 2022. At the end of next season, he'll be an unrestricted free agent, and he is going to be making a lot more than his current $6.6666666 million cap hit. Um, so to see the Bruins not upgrade their offense at all with this trade down, this was the only move that the Boston Bruins made. Is very surprising to me, um, and especially when I talked about how good they've been defensively this year. To go out and then add a premium defenseman, not just a depth player, but probably the best defenseman available on the market, and certainly the most expensive defenseman on the market, judging by what he brought back, um, is a little bit surprising to me. I'm not going to lie. Um, now, surprising doesn't necessarily mean bad. Doesn't necessarily mean good either. I'm very conflicted on how to feel about this move for the Boston Bruins. Lindholm was honestly, of all the pending UFAs that Anaheim had, he was the one guy I thought they might keep, just because, like I talked about, he is a very good player, and he is a bit of a cut above guys like Josh Manson, Ricard Raquel, and certainly Nick DeLaurier, um, who were some other players traded by the Anaheim Ducks um, yesterday over the last couple days or so. Um, but I really don't know how to feel about this one for the Boston Bruins, but another good trade for the Anaheim Ducks is they get the first two seconds John Moore is a salary dump. Uh, he makes $2.625 million this year. Next, he can bury a little bit, about 40% of the AHL. I think the Ducks will survive. Uh, Vakaninen is a young defenseman, 23 years old. He's played 31 games across four different NHL seasons. Um, he has four points in 15 games this year. I don't know if he'll ever be anything spectacular for them, but I mean, expecting him to be maybe a third-pair defenseman uh, for them moving forward certainly doesn't feel too unreasonable. Um so I, I really like this trade for the Anaheim Ducks. If they were going to move Lindholm, they needed to move him for a premium, and that is what they did. All right, so the next trade is one that, as I mentioned earlier, I'm a Flyers fan, and this one definitely hits home for me. Um, Philadelphia Flyers trading their longest-tenured captain in franchise history, uh, second-leading scorer all-time, depending on who you ask, probably somewhere between... Their second and fifth best player in franchise history in Claude Giroux, along with a couple uh, AHL centers in German Rupsov and Connor Bunneman, as well as a fifth-round pick uh, in exchange for a 2024 conditional first, Owen Tippett, a former first-round pick, and a 2023 third. Um, first of all, from a Flyers perspective, it absolutely stinks to see Claude Giroux leave, and it just feels incredibly weird. Uh, Giroux has been a member of the Philly or of the Phillies. I've got baseball on the brain already. I'm already punting hockey season. He's been a member of the Flyers since 2006, longest tenured athlete in Philadelphia at the time of his trade. Um, he has meant so much to this franchise and this city. And to see the send off that he got on his final game with the Flyers on Thursday, his 1,000th NHL game, the Flyers who have choked away so many close games late in third periods and overtime this year. See them rally back from down one in the final five minutes to win it in regulation. And the ceremony that they gave Drew before the game was first class all around. And to see the fans show out uh, for this game, I mean, the, the Wells Fargo Center's understandably been fairly empty for 
most of the last couple months as the Flyers have completely fallen apart this season. Uh, but Giroux is one of the few guys who hasn't fallen apart. He has been very productive for the Flyers this season, especially, you know, given the fact that the Flyers have lost quite a few good players to injury, which obviously makes it harder for Giroux, especially as a playmaker, to score. Uh, but it's just sad that the Flyers were never able to get Claude Giroux a Stanley Cup. And maybe he'll return to the offseason, maybe not. Uh, but the fact that they weren't able to get close uh, during Giroux's tenure as captain, his 10 seasons uh, wearing the C, um, it hurts. Obviously, as a Flyers fan, Flyers only made the playoffs, um, only made the second round of the playoffs once in Drew's 10 seasons as captain. Um, and that was even in the bubble year, so even fans couldn't fully enjoy it necessarily, uh, at least in person. Um, the return is obviously incredibly underwhelming, but it's uneasy to understand why. Uh, Drew had a full no move clause on his deal. The only team he was reportedly willing to waive it for was the Florida Panthers. And I hope. I hold no animosity at all to Claude Giroux. Uh, he deserved to be able to pick where he wanted to go. He has sacrificed so much uh, for the Flyers. His entire prime um, gone now. Um, he deserved to be able to pick where he wanted to go. Um, uh, as for the return, a 2024 first-round pick, it's not nothing. Maybe the Panthers fall off. It is a top-10 protected first-round pick, but then the Flyers would receive an unprotected 2025 first. So maybe the Panthers are bad again by then, and the Flyers wind up getting a really good pick. I feel like it's more likely that they wind up trading in at some point, especially since they've committed to an aggressive retool. Uh, and their own first-round pick this year might be too high to even justify trading, especially if they win the lottery. Uh, Tippett is an intriguing player, I would say. First-round pick, like I mentioned, in 2017, 10th overall. He's played 95 NHL games now. He's one with the Flyers on Sunday. 33 points, 14 goals in those games. He used to be regarded as one of like the top goal-scoring prospects um, in the NHL. Just hasn't been able to establish himself <clears throat> with the Florida Panthers. He's always put up good numbers in the AHL, though. Um, and he had a pretty solid Flyers debut on Sunday. Uh, did not score. Did hit the post, though. Drew a penalty. Played pretty solid hockey. Uh, but, you know... At best, you're probably talking about Tippett becoming a second-line guy, and that would require a absolutely monstrous leap from where he currently is now. And obviously, the Flyers' uh, player development has not been great over the last handful of years, um, given the fact uh, that so many of their once highly touted prospects have either busted or um, not become as good as they were hoped to be. Uh, Germán Rupsov, of course, one of those busted former first-round pick whose stock has completely fallen. Um, if he ever winds up turning out to be like a useful 13th forward, that would be pretty impressive given you know where his stock is at right now. Uh, but Florida Panthers, and any Florida Panthers fans, if you're listening, you have one goal this season. Get Claude Giroux the Stanley Cup that he deserves. Do it. Please. For G. Um, Giroux obviously reunited with his former teammate Radko Gudis uh, from Philadelphia in Florida. Also reunited with another former Flyers defenseman who the Panthers acquired uh, the very next day in Robert Haig, who goes from Buffalo to Florida for a sixth-round pick. Uh, Haig is a defensive, depth defensive defenseman, a fine number seven. Um, hits a lot of people, which again is useful, I'm told, in the Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, but is always graded out by underlying numbers pretty poorly. He struggles to move the puck. Um, I watched him play. Uh, most of his NHL career, obviously with him being a flyer for a couple seasons. Um, but, hey, wish him nothing but the best in Florida. And if he gets to lift the cup with G2, I'll be fine with that uh, outcome, potentially. Uh, the Ottawa Senators acquiring Travis Hamnick for a third-round pick has got to be one of the more confusing moves to the deadline. The Senators obviously are nowhere in a playoff spot, um, near a playoff spot. Now, Hamnick is signed through next year. But, I mean, you can find guys like Travis Hamnick on the free agent market like a dime a dozen. And to trade an asset for him, especially, you know, a third-round pick is not nothing. To trade an asset for him is uh, very confusing. Also, Hamnick apparently had a modified no-trade clause, um, uh, an 18-no-trade clause on his uh, contract for this season only. I'm surprised Ottawa was not one of the teams on that list. Maybe just because he didn't think that the Senators would have any interest in in him. Um, But they wind up getting him for a third-round pick. I don't really like that trade um, for the Ottawa Senators. It just doesn't make any sense. Um, and the Canucks were able to actually replace um, uh, Hamannick essentially by trading a third-round pick, not the one that they acquired. They actually reacquired their own third-round pick, but they traded Winnipeg's third-round pick, which they had acquired in a trade, um, to the Toronto Maple Leafs in exchange for Travis Dermott. Uh, a trade I like for the Canucks. Dermott's a guy who can skate well. 
Um, he's probably someone who's ultimately going to wind up grading out as a third pair defenseman. If you had him next to like an elite partner on the right side, he could probably handle a second pair role. Uh, but the Vancouver Canucks don't really have anyone in that position, so he's probably better off as a third pair guy for them. Um, the LA Kings, honestly, this is a sneaky move by LA that I kind of like. They get Troy Stetcher for a seventh round pick at the deadline. Stetcher's not a bad defenseman at all. A seventh round pick is remarkably cheap. He has only played in 16 games this year for the Detroit Red Wings, though. Uh, but I don't mind that trade at all for the uh, LA Kings. I wish they would have found a way to get a scoring forward, uh, but it just wasn't meant to be really for them. Um, it seems like um, at this deadline, probably would have cost too much for them. Uh, speaking, though, of the Toronto Maple Leafs, um, the Maple Leafs acquiring Mark Giordano at 50% retained salary and Colin Blackwell for a 2022 and 2023 second and a 2024 third. First of all, the Maple Leafs have absolutely no draft picks this year now, essentially. Uh, they have their first, Winnipeg's third, and a conditional seventh round pick. They're going to get to keep the seventh round pick. As it's literally not possible anymore for that pick, the condition to give up that pick to be met. Um... So they'll have their seventh at least, uh, but they don't have their second uh, next year or their third the year after that. But it's a worthwhile trade, and then some, in my opinion. Uh, Mark Giordano is a very good uh, defenseman. He isn't quite as good as he used to be with Calgary, but he's still a very dependable top four defenseman who is reliable on his in his own zone and can actually move the puck a little bit, uh, which makes him much better than like someone like Sherrod or even Josh Manson in my eyes. Uh, even though he is 38 years old, which obviously is a concern, although just signed uh, through the end of the season, so it doesn't have to be a long-term issue for the Maple Leafs if they don't want it to be one. Um, maybe they've re-signed him, maybe they don't. Um, Colin Blackwell is a sneaky part of this trade, and I really like uh, for the Maple Leafs, especially with Andre Kasha uh, just getting injured for them in their last game. Hopefully he's okay. Um, but, you know, regardless, Blackwell is a solid bottom-of-the-lineup player, who kind of came out of nowhere last year for the Rangers, 22 points in 47 games. Uh, this year, 17 and 39 for Seattle, again on a team that does not score. His underlying numbers are pretty good. He can play center or the wing. Just adds a little bit more forward depth to the Maple Leafs, who have probably been, I believe, have been looking to find you know, a little bit more consistency, maybe at third line center this year. Um, I know David Camp has been in that role at sometimes, but maybe they'd prefer to have um, that shutdown line be more of a fourth line than a third line. Um, so I really like the move for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And I'm surprised, given that some of the other defensemen uh, went for on the trade market, that the Kraken were not able to get more for Giordano, especially packaging him with Colin Blackwell, a useful player in his own right. Uh, I'm surprised that they were not able to pry a first-round pick away from somebody. Um, maybe they preferred two seconds and a third instead of maybe getting just a first-round pick um, in that trade, potentially. Um um, we'll probably ultimately never know uh, that specifically, um, but maybe that was just their preference. But I, like I said, I'm surprised they couldn't get a little bit more uh, in that trade. <clears throat> uh, the next trade, the Tampa Bay Lightning getting Nick Paul from the Ottawa Senators uh, in exchange for Matthew Joseph and a fourth-round pick. Um, if the Brandon Hagel trade was the 2.0 version of the Blake Coleman trade, this is the cheaper 2.0 version of the Barkley Goudreau trade. Uh, Joseph is a decent fourth-line player, but I would say Paul is a little bit better than him. Um, Ottawa was talking extension with him. It sounded like he was, if he was going to sign, was going to be in like the four-year, $3 million season range. Uh, Paul has 18 points in 59 games this year for Ottawa. He needs just two more points to tie um, his previous career high. Pretty good bottom-of-the-lineup player. Can play center or the wing. Uh, just more f- low-cost forward depth for the Tampa Bay Lightning at a remarkably cheap cap hit. Although he is a rental, though, so unlike Brandon Hagel, they won't have to they won't have him the luxury of keeping him at that low number um, for more than the next couple months. Uh, the Dallas Stars acquiring Scott Wedgwood for a fourth-round pick from the Arizona Coyotes that becomes a third-round pick um, if the uh, Stars make the playoffs this year, which they have a decent chance of doing. Um, to be honest, this trade really surprised me just because, I mean, the Dallas Stars, they have two solid goaltenders um, in Braden Holpe and Jake Ottinger, although Braden Holpe was just placed on IR, said to be out till at least March 31st with a lower body injury. So there you go. That's the reason why. I was going to say, I was I meant to check that before the show and didn't have a chance to, uh, but the Holpe injury is why they made that trade then, uh, which definitely makes more sense because we're running Jake Ottinger and whoever their NHL starter is. 
uh, probably is not the best move, especially with, you know, like I said, they have a decent chance of making the playoffs, but they are right on the bubble, so they need every win they can get. Uh, Wedgwood is a fine depth goaltender um, to be third on the depth chart. Not the end of the world. Uh, he has a 9-11 save percentage with the Arizona Coyotes in 26 games this year after being an 8-80 with three games with the Devils um, to start the season. So he's playing some of the best hockey of his career. Um, and coming into Dallas should help even more so uh, with that. The Seattle Kraken acquiring a second-round pick from Nashville in exchange for Jeremy Lausanne. I was surprised to see Lausanne moved. A young defensive defenseman who's a pretty solid player. Um, it was uh, Seattle's pick in the expansion draft from the Boston Bruins. Former second-round pick in his own right. Six points in 53 games this year. Well, like I said, defensive defenseman that's you know putting up points. He is not really Jeremy Lausanne's game, but he is a decent young player uh, who is under club control as well moving forward. He's an RFA at the end of the season, so Nashville can resign him and probably do so at a fairly cheap cap. He's going to get a little bit of a raise, but he probably won't make much more than like two, two and a half million or so. Um, so interesting to see Seattle giving up on a young defenseman like that that quickly. Uh, but he'll slot in just fine for Nashville, uh, probably behind Roman Yossi and Matthias Ekholm on the left side. Uh, the Winnipeg Jets reacquiring Mason Appleton from the Kraken in exchange for a fourth-round pick. So Seattle loading up on all those draft picks they could have gotten at the expansion draft now at the trade deadline. Uh, Appleton, uh, decent you know, middle six guy, probably best off in the third, fourth line role. Uh, did have 17 points in 49 games this year for the Kraken, 25 and 56 the year prior in Winnipeg. So... It's a little bit better for the Jets last season. He gets to return to Winnipeg. But a pretty quiet trade deadline. They also traded Nathan Beaulieu, just an average depth defenseman, to the Penguins for a conditional seventh-round pick that uh, the Jets only get if the Penguins win three playoff series and Beaulieu plays in at least 50% of the games, which is pretty unlikely to happen. So they more or less just wound up giving him away for free. Uh, Jack McBain goes to the Arizona Coyotes in exchange for a second-round pick, uh, which goes to the Minnesota Wild. It's actually originally Vancouver's second-round pick. Uh, McBain is a pretty good prospect who apparently didn't want to sign with the Wild. He's got 33 points in 24 games in his senior season at Boston College this year, so a big breakthrough year for the 2018 third-round pick. So good asset management and nothing else in the Wild. They spend a third-round pick on the guy and wind up getting a second-round pick in return. Um, obviously, time will tell, and we'll see how good of a player McBain comes when he eventually probably reaches the NHL level. Uh, he's probably one of those guys that could sign with Arizona and become an NHLer uh, at the end of the season for them, and then we'll see where he fits into their plans moving forward. Uh, the Washington Capitals reacquiring Marcus Johansson. Of course, Johansson, longtime Washington Capital. They get him for Daniel Sprong, a fourth and a sixth, uh, in that trade with the Seattle Kraken, a former first-round pick by Washington in 2009, who used to be a very productive 40-50 to 50 point player or so for the Capitals. Um, really hasn't hit that same offensive level. Um, since uh, he left Seattle, or since he left Washington, excuse me, although this is he hasn't had trouble staying healthy, uh, looking at his games played. Since he left Washington in 26 and 17, 17, 18, 29 games played, 2018, 19, 58, 2019, 20, 60, last season 36, and this year 51. So he's missed about 10 games in every single season um, since he left Washington five years ago. But I'm sure it'll be cool for all his former teammates, and a lot of them are still there, like Oshie, Carlson, Ovechkin, Kuznetsov, Backstrom, all those guys to have Marcus Johansson back. Um, He should probably slot in on Washington's third line or so. Um, He adds a little bit more scoring depth uh, to them uh, for their uh, stretch run and their playoff push. I mean, they're basically locked into a wild card spot right now, but obviously we'll help them moving forward. Uh, The Winnipeg Jets acquiring a fourth-round pick for Brian Little's dead contract. And uh, prospect Nathan Smith uh, with the trade with the Arizona Coyotes. Smith having a really good season for uh, Minnesota State University. He's got 49 points in 34 games this year from a third round pick uh, by Winnipeg. So the Jets giving up a pretty significant prospect to get rid of Brian Little's dead contract, so they don't have to pay that anymore. That certainly matters more for a small market team, you know, paying the actual dollars. Uh, than it would for a big market team. Obviously, Arizona is not a big market team either, but they decided it's a risk worth taking. Um, of course, we'll get into the Minnesota Wild goalie situation right now. Minnesota making a huge splash to get Marc-Andre Fleury at 50% retained salary from the Chicago Blackhawks for a 2022 conditional second that becomes a first-round pick if Fleury wins at least four games in the first two rounds of the playoffs and the Wild win both those series. So if Minnesota reaches their second Western Conference final in franchise history and first since 2003, 
And for gets at least four wins, then that pick becomes a first. And then on a related note, uh, the Wild also trading goaltender Capo Kakin and a fifth-round pick to the Sharks for physical defenseman Jacob Middleton. Uh, obviously, this is a huge move for the Minnesota Wild, whose goaltending has not been very good um, in recent, um, just over the last couple months or so. Um, it's probably been their team's biggest weakness, and the reason why that they're really no longer contenders to win the Central anymore. Uh, could finish anywhere between second in that division, or maybe even drop all the way down to a wild card spot. Um, it's a bit surprising to see Kakinen traded after uh, he looked like he was going to be their goalie of the future um, not too long ago, former AHL goaltender of the year. But yeah, the Minnesota Wild, uh, 21st uh, in the NHL in save percentage. Um, if you look at where their save percentage has been just since the beginning of the calendar year of 2022, it's even worse. Um, Andre, Marc-Andre Fleury got off to a slow start this year in Chicago, but it's been much better since then. Uh, Vesna winner last season. Uh, he is a huge ad for the Minnesota Wild. A potentially game-changing addition for them um, moving forward. Uh, I mean, getting Flurry, you know, makes them a much bigger threat to go deep in the Western Conference playoffs. I know Flurry's up there in age. I know he can be a little bit inconsistent, and he has had playoff troubles in his past. Although he's mostly, you know, been able to shed those demons with how well he's been um, uh, with Vegas. You know, of course, and he played a big role in Pittsburgh's second Stanley Cup win as well in that back-to-back. Anyway, their third Cup win with him on the roster. Uh, but yeah, since January 1st, Minnesota's team save percentage 22nd in the NHL, an 8.96 mark. Just not good enough, and Marc-Andre Fleury will certainly provide a big upgrade for that as well. Honestly, the biggest losers of this trade, the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, just because they literally gave Fleury away for nothing in the offseason, now they see him flipped for a second, potentially even a first-round pick as well. Uh, the LA Kings and Predators making a minor league trade. Frederick Allard going to the Kings for Braden Burke. Uh, Marion trade there. Nashville acquires Alex Biega from Toronto for future considerations. Very minor trade there. Biega, just depth defenseman, probably won't play for Nashville at all unless they are ravaged with injury. Justin Braun goes to the Rangers for a third-round pick. I like this move for New York. Uh, Justin Braun has been a very solid defensive defenseman for the Flyers the last couple of years. Uh, three seasons, well, uh, two and a half seasons really in Philly for Justin Braun. Uh, he had to play way higher in the lineup than he ever should have had to with the Ryan Ellis injury and the Flyers failure to replace Matt Niskin over the last two seasons. And he has held his own somehow in that top pair role. Um, the Rangers will have him on their third pair behind uh, Adam Fox and Jacob Truba. That's a role Braun is much better suited for. I think he could thrive um, with the New York Rangers and will help you know further their outstanding penalty kill. The Ottawa Senators acquiring Zach Sinishin and a fifth-round pick for Josh Brown in a conditional seventh. Uh, the condition being essentially five games with Ottawa this season. The pick goes from a 7th to a 6th. Brown's a decent depth defenseman. Again, Boston, why are they all getting defensemen so much? Uh, Seneshin, you might remember, is one of the first-round picks um, that the one of the players the Bruins used in those three straight first-round picks they had in 2015 instead of picking someone like Matt Barzell or Kyle Connor, Thomas Shabbat or Brock Besser or Travis Konechny or Leah Samsonov, and the list goes on and on. Uh, the Colorado Avalanche acquiring Arturi Lekanen a 50% retained salary for Justin Barron in a second. Basically the same return they gave up for Josh Manson. Barron's another defensive prospect, a former first-round pick. Right-handed, only 20 years of age. Um, it's a fairly significant return for Montreal, and I do like that for them. But Lekanen seems like the type of player who could really thrive in Colorado. He sort of reminds me as a better version of the Vladislav Nemesnikov edition at the 2020 deadline. Uh, but Lekanen has always been someone who's been great by underlying numbers. Um, a sneaky small scoring forward who can play up and down the lineup by both wings. Uh, I think he could fit in really well there uh, in Colorado. Uh, the St. Louis Blues acquiring Nick Letty at 50% retained salary and Luke Witkowski for Oscar Sundquist, Jake Wallman, and a second. Um, Letty is a really good defenseman in transition, and that could be something that fits well in St. Louis. I remember seeing a tweet from one of the Blues reporters, I believe, that the Blues um, like to have their defensemen carry the puck up the ice, and that's definitely something Lenny can do. It's pretty much the only calling card of his game at this point in his career. Um, losing Sunquist stings. He's a pretty solid uh, bottom of the lineup four, but they had to do that to make the salary work. Um, Wallman's just a depth defenseman. A depth defenseman. I confused. Def- I can combine defenseman and defender there. A depth defenseman, mid twenties, nothing special. Second round pick hurts to give up. 
A minor trade, the Canadians send uh, Andrew Hammond to the Devils for Nathan Schnarr um, so that Hammond can keep playing in the NHL um, with the Canadians potentially getting Carey Price back soon, perhaps, and just their goaltending situation stabilizing a bit more. The Capitals get Johan Larson at 50% retained salary for a three-round pick from Arizona. He's a really good defensive bottom uh, six player. Uh, Washington's forward depth, you know, getting a little bit stronger. Interesting to see where he fits in, though, because Washington's fourth line over the last couple of years of Carl Hagelin, um, Nick Dowd, and Garnet Hathaway has been pretty solid, so I wouldn't think they would necessarily break that up. Uh, the Ottawa Senators acquiring uh, goaltender Michael McNiven from Calgary for future considerations. Uh, he's been... Uh, he was actually with the Canadians earlier this year, played one game, um, had a 570 save percentage in the NHL. Is that bad? It seems bad. Um, nine goals against average. I honestly thought the goals against average was the save percentage the first time. I was like, oh, that's not bad. And then I realized it was goals against. And yeah, that's tough. But only one game. Uh, the <clears throat> New York Rangers acquired Nick Merkley uh, from the Sharks for Anthony Potato, depth defender for depth forward. Potato being the defender, Merkley being the forward. The Lightning acquire Riley Nash and the Coyotes for future considerations. Nash is a good defensive penalty-killing bottom four player. Um, and we'll get through the couple minor trades here. Um, going rapid fire here as we near the end of the show. Um, skip some of the minor league trades. Andrew Kopp to the uh, Rangers along with the six for Morgan Barron. Two seconds and a fifth. Uh, it's a trade I really like. The one thing that does kind of sing a little bit is that one of those seconds upgrades to a first if the Rangers win two playoff rounds and Kopp plays 50% of their games. It would sting for the Rangers to have to lose a first-round pick, but they can stomach it if they reach the Eastern Conference Finals. And Kopp should be a really good fit for them at second-line left wing, more likely is when he's going to play. Um, but he's a very versatile player. Uh, the Jets acquiring Zach Sanford, who's a physical, solid depth forward. And Brett Kulak to the Oilers for a second, a seventh, and William Lagerson isn't as much of an overpay as you probably think it is. Uh, Kulak is a pretty solid depth defenseman. He does come at 50% retained salary. I'm just surprised that he went for that much. Uh, I would have thought that he wouldn't have gotten returned anything more than what Justin Braun would have got. I wish the Flyers could have gotten a second for Braun, but what you going to do? The Oilers also requiring Derek Brassard at 50% retained salary for a fourth. Uh, Vasov Domestikov goes to Dallas at 50% retained salary for a fourth. Andrew Cogliano at <clears throat> 50% retained salary to San Jose for a fifth from San Jose. He goes to Colorado, which is the same thing that the Flames gave up to get Ryan Carpenter from Chicago. Tyler Mott to the Rangers for a fourth-round pick is a solid move as well. Mott's a really good underrated player. The Panthers getting Max Domi in a three-team trade. I mean, just go all out, Florida. Why not? Um, that's a pretty—I think that's actually a low-key solid trade for Florida to make, especially since they get him at retained salary. And there was one other trade, Ricard Raquel going to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Um, is a move I like. I think he could fit in well next to Crosby or Malkin. Callie Klang, though, a goaltender they gave up as part of that return package along with a second-round pick and a couple depth forwards, could be a potential gem. He is fifth currently in the Swedish Hockey League in save percentage. Uh, we'll get into the Evgeny Dadanov trade uh, kind of debacle on the next show, and who knows when that's going to get resolved. But that's all for this week's show of Five for Friending Irish. Thank you very much for listening to this week's show. I hope your team made good moves at the trade deadline, especially if you're a Flyers fan, um, and that they all work out wonderfully for you um, the rest of the season and moving forward. But thank you for listening to this week's show. Enjoy all the hockey, and I'll see you guys next week.